Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak to teachers of movement, meditation, and yoga, and we try to learn what drives them to share what they love with the world. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. I'm going pretty well myself. Managing to keep myself very busy though, nothing new there. I'm very excited, however, as we have a wonderful episode for you today. In this episode, we speak with UK-based yoga teacher, writer, coach, and body-positive advocate, Donna Noble. Donna is doing great work in the accessible yoga space, so we really wanted to catch up with her and learn what inspires her. Now, I'm sidetracking a little bit here, but as you know, if you've been listening to us for a while, Joe and I are both very passionate about body positivity and about accessibility and bringing it into the world of aerial yoga. Now, we were lucky enough to teach a body positive aerial class at our studio last weekend, and it was fantastic. We got some great feedback and we learned a lot. But I had a contrasting experience also, as I attended an aerial class at another studio in town recently. It was a great class, don't get me wrong. I had fun, it was a strong class, and I learned a few things, but on the other hand, I was probably the only person there who wasn't a slim woman in their 20s, and as I mentioned, it was very strong. And a lot of it probably wouldn't have been accessible to a lot of people. Now, I'm not trying to say the class was bad or the studio was bad, far from it. But I think I can really understand why some people might find walking into a situation like that very intimidating. And I think it's important to remember that if we're teaching any type of yoga class. That's enough soapboxing from me. Now, before we get started with the conversation, I'd just like to ask that you rate or review us on iTunes or help share this episode on social media. It really helps us reach a lot more people so we can let them know about the great work that people like Donna are doing. All right, that's more than enough talking from me. Let's get into the conversation with Donna Noble. Perhaps we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, my name's Donna Noble, and I grew up in London in the UK and basically did the normal things like went to school, had a great um, childhood. And at some point, um, I went and actually lived in Jamaica for two years between the ages of nine and 11 and um, had a wonderful time there. It was quite a culture shock for me, but I had a, once I settled in and I wasn't the outsider anymore, I had an amazing time and came back and was able to sort of pick up from where I left off and was able to sort of connect with a lot of the friends that I had at school and went to the schools that they they went to. And then um, from there, just basically, oh, you know, I was, I was okay at school. Didn't, in, I, I, it wasn't, I, I was, it was okay actually. I was good at athletics, but didn't realise it and sort of just did things organically. And when I was leaving school, I think um, I wanted to be a, a an air hostess initially, initially until my grandfather said to me, do you realise you'll be sort of like a glorified waitress? And I, and I knew that wouldn't sit well with me. So then I, <laughs> I, 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 I started to go with the flow. I had no real plans. And, and one thing I then decided to do after going to college, I was going to do a business course, but then went the secretarial route and thought it was something that would allow me to get into the back door of, of companies and then see what I, I'd like to do sort of thereafter and um, did that that and along the way discovered I like computers and was able to get a job in a company that I was working for in their IT department. But I also had started to study for IT, so started doing a lot of certifications in that area and just was happy in my, well, happy 
when I was an engineer and then after completing my master's everyone said you're sort of wasted you need to do something in more, more management and that's something I did and didn't have a very nice time in one of the companies I stayed at I was there for about 10 years and I became ill I believe through burnout I suffered with Bell's palsy. I read that on your website would you mind explaining to people who haven't heard of that condition before what that entails? So basically one side of your face is paralyzed so the muscles on one side of the face sort of die and you either get it through stress or it can be viral and so what happened with me was I started to get some signs during the week where you know when you sort of you sleep and you you wake up awkwardly and your next kind of yeah. feels out of sorts I had that for a few days before and just thought that's exactly what happened and went out it was my birthday she went out the night before my birthday felt fine and the next morning I woke up I had one glass of wine and just had this almighty headache and I thought was the wine that bad that you know I'm suffering in this way and then I just felt as though I was getting a toothache and I kept feeling so my eye was weeping and everyone I answered no your eyes not weeping and just felt that I was coming down with something so I went home that night and just thought let me go to bed and try to recover from this or or you know prevent it from taking hold and then I woke up the next morning felt fine all set to go to work my colleague wanted me to interview some new staff with him and looked in the mirror and my face on the right hand side had completely drooped and I just thought I was having a, a stroke that was my initial thoughts and then but when I spoke to individuals I said no it's as my actual my boss at the time said no it's not a stroke if it's a stroke it would be down the entire side of your body and um, he knew somebody that had suffered Bell's palsy so all the symptoms he told me I was able to sort of google it and he was right so I was able to sort of get medical help immediately but it wasn't very well known so there's not a lot of treatment you can take and the timeline for when you recover it can be a few weeks or it can be never basically so that's what I went through and that sort of made me take stock of my life at that point. Yeah like you felt like it was a bit of a message from your body or just a sign that things were not going in a sustainable direction for you. Yeah definitely and, I, and it was yoga that sort of helped the path of yoga that helped me to heal because I did the bells pointing for about five years and I think I just resigned myself to the fact that you know, maybe I wouldn't recover. And I wasn't where I was now that I would have explored maybe more holistic remedies like I, I did subsequently. And it was five years on that someone said, why don't you try acupuncture? I had tried it before, actually, but it was someone that was an osteopath that did like a weekend course and put a few needles in my face and nothing happened. And when I went to see a Chinese acupuncturist, after the very first treatment, I got tingles in my face. I knew whatever she had done, you know, my body was receptive to it. And that's when I started to, to recover from it. And so did you do yoga at all beforehand or was it just something that you'd explored after the palsy? No, I did it before. And the way in which I got into the yoga was a friend of mine saw a picture of Madonna in one of the newspapers with their leg behind her head and said, oh, and she was really very much into what the celebrities were into and said, so we give it a go. So she got some yoga mats and we were lucky at the time that we had a colleague that was training to be a yoga teacher. So we became her guinea pigs and we would go down to the boardroom a couple of times a week and do yoga. But I didn't sort of fall into love at that stage and I, I was like everyone else is now for I want to explore this further but I want to go to a class where we're at the same level I don't want to go to a class where someone's got their legs behind their head and I just don't know what I'm doing so I did that but in doing my master's degrees I decided that I wouldn't have the time to do yoga so I gave it up and it's when I started a corporate job that they actually had an in-house gym and they introduced yoga so that's when my love affair with yoga resumed again and, and had an on-off love affair until I think 
2005, I think. Then I discovered Bikram Yoga and that's what I think helped me to transition from the corporate world into what I'm doing now. Yeah, right. So interesting that your corporate life and your yoga life were just going in parallel for a while and then it was like a real fork yeah. in the road where you're like, nope, it's yoga. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I didn't even know. It wasn't until I was doing a master NLP practitioner course and oh, for redundancy. Well, I was being made redundant and I was still at that point adamant I'd still go back into corporate. Even though I was doing a, a yoga teacher training course, it didn't even entertain my mind that I could do yoga sooner. It was something that I would do when I retired because my family, they, they're not very fit. And I thought I, if I get to that age, I don't want to be one of these individuals that stays at home and watches TV like they, they currently do. And so on the call, someone said, what's going on with you? And I told them, I said, um, I'm not quite sure what I want to do, whether I sh- should do yoga or corporate. And they said, well, Donna, you're, you unconsciously know what you want to do. And I said, no, I don't. And they said, yes, you do. And they said, when you actually talk about yoga, you light up. And when you talk about corporate, you don't. And then in that split second, Joe, I then decided, you know what, what I can do, I don't want to set up my own yoga um, classes. I can go to finish the training I was doing at the time. And then the following year, go to LA and do the nine-week big creation training course because it was some, only nine weeks and Bikram yoga was very much the in yoga at the time and I thought I could come back there was loads of studios in London I would get classes and that's what I did. Would you mind like sharing a little bit about the process of doing your teacher training and your experiences then? So basically a friend of mine said to me that I should have a plan B and and I thought plan B I'm, I'm in a, a, a good job and the corporate life seemed to be the way I was going to go and I thought the only thing that I like and I was exploring at the time was yoga so I decided um to do a yoga teacher training course. And I did a course that was, I think it was 18 months. So you can see that it wasn't something that I immediately wanted to do. And it was the only type of training I could do that I only had to devote one weekend per month to the training and would utilize it maybe when I retired, you know, my 60s or what have you. And that changed with the redundancy that was being offered. Um, I decided to explore yoga more deeply and um, not as a career. So I decided to go to LA for the nine-week course and maybe stay for 11 weeks. But I I actually ended up staying for six months, just traveling around the US um, and teaching yoga. And it just sort of really resonated with me and, and felt right for me until I came back to London. And then then I just was teaching hot yoga until I discovered um, that after reading an article about a curvy journalist who was at a nice experience of yoga, she was either stared at in the class by the other practitioners or she was not acknowledged by the teacher. And that's where Curves and Yoga sort of came about. So I, I basically tried to show everybody that a yoga body by making yoga more diverse, more inclusive. So I would love to talk to you about the body positive stuff, but that's such a huge topic for us as well. I quickly want to sidetrack because I'd really like to know about your experiences doing the Bikram teacher training in LA. Like I read a memoir about it and it sounded so full on and really intense. Was that your experience there as well? Like were you learning with Bikram himself? Yeah. So basically he's there and you stay in a hotel for the entire nine weeks in LA and you're doing two classes a day. So you do one class in the morning and one class in the evening. And then you have lectures throughout the day. But then you're also watching Bollywood movies until about the wee hours of the morning. So it, it, it can be an intense um, nine weeks. But I went there mentally prepared. I was practicing every day. So I was mentally strong to deal with that, basically. And so what was Bikram like as a teacher? Because we just hear so much about him now. And 
not positive. I just want to know your experiences. He was just such a character, basically. He was he had certain viewpoints, and that was his viewpoint. He was that he was never wrong, and that's fine. And there was just certain things that he came out with, and you think, well, I don't quite agree with that. But then you have that with other individuals in life as well. But uh, he has created an amazing yoga that absolutely does work it's healed me in in so many ways and it's healed so many people that have come through the teacher training but it's um but it but it was you know it's helped to make me who I am I can go for anything you know if you're not in that room and the heat is so intense it's like you're dying but you're you're reborn and the 26 you know the, the, the 26 and 2 as some people call it it really does work so he's come up with an amazing yoga system in that respect as well and he's ex- ex- very, very knowledgeable. You can see the knowledge there. But I don't know if it's, you know, being in the environment in L.A., if that's what's, you know, kind of made him a bit more uh, attuned to the Western way, basically. And so was it a very aesthetically body-focused kind of vibe in that training? Because that's kind of the marketing that we see around Bikram in Australia, that it's about weight loss and it's about looking good rather than necessarily being as focused on how you feel. But it sounds like for you, it actually was quite transformational on an emotional level as well. And I suppose it depends on the teachers because different teachers, you know, will bring their their own take to the teaching. So you might have some that are like that. But when I teach the Bikram, I don't mention weight loss. You might see that in the literature, but when it comes into the the teachings, it's not necessarily the case at all. I know some of the dialogue, it does mention that certain postures are good for weight loss. So I suppose it's appealing to those kind of individuals about it. So I think at the time I wasn't aware of the body positive movement when I went. So I suppose I, I just went there and, and took what I wanted from the training and, and brought that into, into my teaching. So, it, 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 you know, it made me a stronger individual. And there are people that I've met and weight loss has been part of their journey. There was a, um, a fellow, a friend that we became friends on the teacher training and I didn't realise that they lost quite a bit of weight from doing Bikram teacher training. It's only the leaving and many years later he posted the video, uh, like a before and after video that I realised that you know he had very high blood pressure and the Bikram yoga was instrumental in, in lowering that. He came off the tablets but also allowed him to, to lose weight. So everyone, I suppose, when they go there, they go on it's a different journey. There are people that are addicted to certain things and the, the, the journey of yoga has allowed them to, you know, release that addiction. I guess that's true of all stars really. Like you can bring whatever message you want to bring to that practice and yeah. you will attract the people who are looking for that. Yeah. Um, I'd like to also ask you, we hear, like we hear a lot about yoga in America and we hear a little bit about yoga in Asia here in Australia, but we hardly hear about like the English yoga scene. Would you mind giving us a little bit of a background on like what the yoga community is like there? I suppose I'm not very much into the yoga scene here, actually. I was very much into the Bikram yoga scene because I taught that quite but I'm not sort of into that so much now but you can be so busy just teaching yoga that you don't really get into it mm-hmm. I suppose like with any country there are teachers that are, are very well known and they teach at the top yoga studios and then you've got people out in the community just teaching yoga to the individuals that they feel that they need that but yoga in the UK is becoming from when I started yoga to now it's it's very very popular it's becoming some of it is becoming very much fitness based and you you, you get that and that's um, something that I'm not enjoying seeing but there is a group of teachers that really want to make it about the philosophy and and bring it back to that so individuals can see what yoga can really give 
preview. So it's less about the asanas, but there is a focus that seems to be happening very much on that at the moment. Yeah. And I guess that leads us into your own style, which is curvesome yoga. Would you like to give us a little bit of background about your approach? Yeah. So my approach is just to show that everybody can do yoga, which, you know, I believe that everybody's born yogi. And I'm trying to analyze this and see why people then don't believe they're flexible. And because of the imagery they see on social media, they see someone tall, slim, with their legs behind their head, they believe that's what they have to look like before they can even approach doing yoga. So curve some yoga, I show every body type that I can do in yoga to entice more people to see that yoga is for them, basically. So I teach a lot of beginners yoga classes and I'm beginning to see that I'm attracting people from different walks of life, different ages, different sizes, different genders. So that's all I'm trying to do is evolve yoga by just making it more accessible. I teach chair yoga and I've done an accessible yoga teacher training course. I can teach bed yoga. I believe that even if you, you know, you just, you're just breathing, that too is yoga. If you want to come to my class and just, you know, lay on your mat in Sebastian or child's pose, that too is yoga. I have no judgments and I don't have any expectations, but I do try to let people realize their, their body's full potential. A lot of people, when they come to my classes, I think it's not that they're stiff physically, it's their stiff mentally. And sometimes they come, Joe, and they don't even realize what their body can do until they get onto that mat. And, you know, for me, yoga mm. really does bring you home to yourself. And with the yoga that I teach, I try to allow individuals to accept themselves how they are and bring about self-love as well. And that is so what yoga is all about. Like it's such an adaptable practice. Yeah. And it's all just about learning about who we are. And I definitely believe as well, like that power of being able to do something that you didn't realize yeah. was possible. I think like what you touched on as well with like representation and just showing a lot of different bodies and different ages and different cultures mm. in all your social media and about your classes and everything as well is really powerful because it is kind of heartbreaking that someone might feel like yoga wasn't for them just because they don't look like the people that they see on Instagram or in yoga journal. Yeah. I guess that kind of leads us into diet culture and its pervasive influence on the yoga world. Yeah. Would you like to speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I'm finding that more and more that yoga and diet world are intermingling and that's wrong. You've got people making clean eating, you need to be a vegetarian and we'll find that more and more. But I believe in intuitive eating that your body tells you what you need and the body tells when we're hungry the body tells us when we're full and when we if you base it on those two principles i think the body your body will be the way it's meant to be but you've got individuals out there that are making it about if you look a certain way you can't do yoga if you eat certain foods you're not true yoga and that's wrong and and, and i don't believe in that i don't believe in that at all and yeah, i mean very very synonymous you've seen that you know it's like clean eating then that you know and you've got is it Gwyneth Paltrow with certain things that she's saying about diet and what food you need to eat to to maintain to be a body but if you look at yogis from thousands of years ago they were all different shapes and sizes but once it's come through to the west we start to put these different interpretations on yoga 
And I think it's governed by the, the fashion industry in that you've got to be a certain body or look a certain way to do yoga and then diet again is, is a way in which that we're, we're sold that can help us achieve that by the way we look. The thing equals healthy and that's not the case at all. You know, I, I, I always say you can never tell a yogi by their size. I think I'm probably like mangling this a little bit, but there's a great quote, which is exercise to celebrate what your body can do, not as a punishment for something mm. that you yeah, hate. Exactly. Yeah, there's so many of that that I, I share like that exactly. You know, do something because you love it, not because you you hate it or feel you need to do it to, to achieve something. Because what I find, Joe, as well, a lot of people that diets don't work. And if diets did work, then why is it every year that, you know, it's a billion dollar industry? It should be being reduced. It's not. <laughs> This year, it could be having a Kardashian bum. So then they change what the ideal or perfect body is. And and invariably, these bodies they're showing us on social media, they've been retouched in in many ways. So people are trying to strive for something that doesn't exist and they don't realise that. And because we're born with our body, I believe that we we kind of take it for granted. But the fact that we can go at night to sleep and we don't have to worry how, how we, we, you know, about breathing or we, we, we cut ourselves and the body heals naturally. So the same way you apply that to to how we eat. I don't believe it's disordered eating. It's disordered thinking. It's our thoughts. Um, Joe, you might look at food and think about, you know, like chocolate and think, oh my God, I can't have that's really bad for me. And I'll have, I'll have tons of it, you know, and, and then to the point. Oh, I have heaps of chocolate. <laughs> then at some point, Joe, our body will say, no, you don't want any more. And that's intuitive eating. You know, our body will govern us in, in the way in which we, we eat, but no one tells us that. But the fact if you're on a diet and, you know, you suddenly start thinking about food a lot, your body's doing what it's designed to do your body realizes you're starving yourself they want you to eat so it's making you think about food you know you get the hunger signals but then the diet industry makes it out that it's your fault that you're failing by wanting all your body doing these things and that's not told enough to individuals or people or, or put out there in that space yeah it's pretty much a whole industry based on just people's insecurities and magnifying them and telling people that they're not okay as they are and that they need to change themselves and you know buy this miracle diet to help them do it yeah, and it doesn't work. But I'm glad to say that there is a revolt going on and changing that. And that's good to see. You know, there's the health for every size that, you know, as I said before, you can't tell how healthy someone is purely, purely by looking at them. And so when you're teaching a class, is this something that you would overtly talk about in a class, like this message of self-love and kind of self-acceptance, or is it more just kind of an approach of invitational language and kind of giving people space to be themselves rather than something you overtly discuss? I do discuss it if I think it's right in the class, but it's in a very small way. So, you know, like in Sebastian, I might say, accept your body for what you can do on the mat today and have no judgments about it and cultivate self-love and just letting them realize their body is an amazing tool and to do as little or as much as they can do. So empowering people to to be their own teachers as well. And I think that that works. And people come in and, and they, they can realize they can do so much more. And I, I teach for a charity and they really get what yoga's about. They don't come in there thinking, oh, I've come to lose weight. There was one student, we're doing like a six-week course and it's coming to an end. And basically she said, oh, I didn't realise that when I have yoga in my life, it gets me out of the house. And I walk through the park and I engage with nature. And it just shows me that I can balance or I can do certain things that I thought I'd lost. And that's when they really get it. But you have some environments you go to and it's about the weight loss or how they look or it becomes very cliquey. And for me, it's when 
people get what the true essence of yoga is about union, about connection and about coming home. That's for me is yoga. When you can take what you learn on the yoga mat into your everyday life, that for me is the real essence of yoga. Yeah, it's such an amazing and beautiful process and such an honour to be able to share that with people. Um, Just want to circle back because I know that you run some specific body positive classes and I'd just like to know like what's unique about these sessions for someone who hasn't heard that term before? It just means anybody can come to the class regardless of their size, their age or their gender. And we just take everything slowly and what I'm actually able to, because I've done specific courses, I can adapt anybody that comes into my class what I've done before is I'll sit in the chair and do chair yoga while the rest of the class do mat based yoga so I will break it down to that level and you know what you get in my class it's not just like a straight flow class we'll break it down so if I see there are questions I will break those questions down so I give my class like a strong foundation that they can go into any class and do the yoga there but it's it's about showing individuals their full potential so anyone that comes to my class they get individual attention because my classes are quite intimate so you know everybody will get a, a turn or if that's not working I'll run a workshop where we specifically will go for a particular asana or you know the sun salutation or whatever it is that I see that the class needs so they're empowered to do it and they you know they want to sit down in my class because they feel they are tired, they can do that as well. And that's the difference. But I can actually adapt to anybody that comes into my class. I can teach bed yoga as well, if need be. But that's what I suppose make my classes different, that I, I do make it a point that I can teach to anybody in the room and show individuals how to make space for their body. So when there are postures that like, you know, stepping through from downward facing dog, how to bring the leg out to the side to accommodate their space, how to use props and let individuals know that props are one of the best things that you can use because it makes the yoga more accessible. And it's just sending that message that like all bodies are equally valid, like yoga is for everyone. There's a way that everyone can do this pose so that they can get the benefits from it. Yeah, indeed. And what I also will do as well is in my class, if I need someone to demonstrate a posture, I don't always use the the most flexible person in the class. You know, I will use somebody else so that, again, I can change other people's perceptions about different body types and what body types can do in the class as well. And I'll also offer maybe three variations of a posture and allow everyone to use whichever variation of that posture suits them. And I don't, you know, say you have to do to the nth degree, just do the best that your body can do. Hello, Ran here, just popping back in to talk about our Patreon page. Now, if you don't know already, Patreon is just a way where you can support our podcast from as little as $1 a month. Higher tiers get great benefits such as shout-outs on the podcast, mentions on our website, or access to extra special content. We also use the funds to transcribe our favourite episodes so they're accessible to the hearing impaired. Now, if you'd like to learn more, just go to our website at podcast.flowartist.com. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Donna. I actually remember a class we went to a few years ago where the teacher selected someone to demonstrate and actually said to the group, oh, look how beautiful he is in this pose. Was it something like, this is what we're aiming for? Yeah. Or something like yeah, that? Something yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah. boy. 
Yeah. And that just puts people off because I've had people, I, I hear so many nightmare stories. Somebody recently came and said, basically, I think that was online, actually, because I've got some online videos and and they were thanking me for doing it. And they said that because the, there was a few of us she mentioned, like teachers online, like American teachers, and said that we encouraged her. She was disabled and she was curvy, but she was going to be, become a yoga teacher because of what we were putting out there and that she was going to be put off doing the teacher training course because it was like a flow class and she didn't think she was going to be able to do it. But she spoke to the teacher and the teacher reassured her. But she mentioned she went to a class and they were doing dance pose. The teacher didn't help her at all, didn't sort of offer a, a belt to save it, just try and grab the foot or use the wall, just ignored her completely. And that's what would never happen in my class, never at all would happen in my class I acknowledge everybody that you know that comes into a class and will adapt the posture for them and it's kind of mind-blowing because like that's your job as a yoga teacher to help everyone do yoga and I've had another scenario where uh, there was somebody doing floor bow and it was at one of these yoga conferences and she was just had her feet in the air but wasn't grabbing her her ankles and she wasn't using a belt or prop and I said well just grab one foot at a time and she actually was able to grab it and after class she said I've done yoga 130 plus times you can you know she cut every single time she went on the mat and she was determined and she said I went to the teacher after class and said is it me and the teacher said yes and she said you're the first person that actually has acknowledged me and given me a modification she went away said I want to do all these different postures so it, that's the thing and, and you know and then teachers blame the bodies they have in the room and there's no excuse for that now but I'm glad to say that there is a change coming so as you say a lot of teachers in, in the U.S who are ahead of the UK market, they're offering online classes, like I've done some of them, to show how you can make the classes more accessible. And you've got curvy teachers like Jessamine Stanley, Diane Bondi, and a few more that are leading the way and, and showing how we can make yoga more accessible and more diverse. And it's great as well because online, everyone can see these people. Like it's one of those things, it's like two sides of the same coin. Instagram can be really amazing at providing this platform and visibility for people who are traditionally underrepresented in yoga media but also it's like the whole commercial side of yoga as well so it's like great to see that the forces of good are winning Mm -hmm. (laughs) against the forces of diet culture and just kind of showing people that like yoga really is for everybody it is but the the downside to that joe that i'm seeing is that everyone's now using body positive as a trend right now so you'll go on someone's social media feeding where are you body positive you're not showing diverse Mm -hmm. body or people are going to their classes and they're still being ignored. So it's almost like, I suppose a few years ago, you know, it was trended to be vegetarian, but you know, an example that someone had meat on their feed, <laughs> I suppose that's a, a very um, convoluted way of showing it, but that's what you're, you're finding. So people are just using the trend and it's become very commercializing in that respect as well. And it's kind of worse because someone might go to that class specifically yeah. thinking that they will be welcome there because that's what that term means. And, you know, if you have a negative experience in a body positive yoga class or that might just turn you off going to yoga altogether and that's why I then decided Joe to become more visible because when I started doing the yoga like with anybody you just you think I'm just little Adonna in this part of London I don't want to be out there but if someone said you're being selfish because there are people that need to find you so you need to put yourself out there and that's what I started to do in that respect just to so people could come to the class and hopefully words getting out and with the imagery and it was very difficult in the beginning because body positivity wasn't very prevalent in the UK is I had to use a lot of imagery from the states but now I'm able to say that I can start using imagery from the from the UK from my own personal classes and then people are starting to want to come to yoga 
that, but they're afraid to. I have people book to come on some of my workshops or my 10-week class, but they get so anxious still because they still believe they have to look a certain way or have their body do a certain thing before they still can come on the mat. So I'm still um, encountering that, unfortunately. And speaking about people looking at a certain way, I'm wondering how important you think that having diversity and representation in the images that we portray of yoga is. It's very, very important. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to say that even recently, I think in the Nike store in the UK, they had a plus size mannequin. I shared it, and it's just. It's, it's, it's trending right now and that shows how much people want to see representation because representation matters. If someone doesn't see themselves doing something, how will they know that they can do it? And that's what I get a lot because people don't even think that they can do something. So if they think a yoga body is someone tall, slim and blonde, then they won't even consider doing that. So that's why it really is. And you get that so many times you put someone up, you know, put something up and they say, thank you, representation matters. Someone looks like me and it's so refreshing because certain people then think they don't exist because when you see the representation that's out there, it's a very small percent of the the population and that's the concerning thing as well. Hmm, absolutely. And I'm also wondering, do you ever feel that as a woman of colour that there's an extra pressure or expectation for you to portray yourself a certain way or to speak out on certain issues? I don't personally. I think I just, I'm just done. I just got there and do it. And like in the beginning when it was body positive, people kept saying, oh, there's not enough representation. I don't talk about it. I just do it, if that makes sense. I just put the put it up on my feed and, and stuff like that. And I think I was hiding a lot. And the time for me where I suppose I realised that it was important for me to become visible, I was at the Om Yoga Show, which is a, they have an annual event. It was International Yoga Day. And basically, I was being interviewed for a magazine and they said, come down early. And it was a day where the weather, like in the UK, is always raining. It was, there was no summer. And I thought, I got the last class and it's outside. No one's going to come to the class. So I went there and it was sunny and the sun went away and the rain started to come a little bit and then to my surprise at five o'clock there were so many people of color that had come out to support me and at the end of the class they said you need to be more visible because we need to see you up there and that's when I I knew that I had to stand up and and do more but there's no pressure for me to do it I just do as much or as little as, as I can do you know I go to spaces and sometimes I'm the only person of color there but I suppose I'm so used to and I'm the person holding the space but I just need to just keep going and you know if it means one more person comes onto the mat then I'm pleased that I'm out there whether it's someone curvy or someone that you know that wouldn't normally do yoga comes to experience the transformational benefits of yoga then my job is done but I now know that I really do have to be more visible because you know representation matters for people that look like me to see me out there as well you know and if it means that someone else becomes a teacher because they thought oh I didn't know that's something I could do that's my job done or someone else thinks oh I didn't want to do yoga but seeing someone of color doing it if I help to demystify it because there's so many misconceptions about yoga so if I can help to bring more awareness and demystify and get more people on the map, then then I'm happy to do that. That's awesome. And it sounds like you're already inspiring so many people. I'm wondering, you mentioned earlier on that within your own family, you were kind of a little bit concerned about some of your older family members' health. Have you got any of your family on the yoga mat? How do they find it? My mother came once, a funny story actually, and she came with a friend and they, they just sat there watching my students doing the yoga and having like a little nap and they kept saying, shh. So my mother won't. <laughs> 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 she or something she so she she won't come and that's with her but what she's doing actually she's out in the garden more so she's she's getting help in other senses and and what 
I think is happy for me. They get, she got to see what I do and she's happy because she saw that how unhappy I was in my corporate life and how happy the yoga is making me. And, and just how many opportunities have come about from me doing the yoga things that I'm, I'm going to be writing a book as well in January about body positive yoga. So it's, it's just, you know, this, I, I'd say to anyone, if you have a, an idea or a plan B, no matter how ridiculous that idea seems, give it a go because you don't want to regret not doing it. And like for me, I, I took those faithful steps and said, let me give yoga a try. Even if it's for three months, I'd go back to corporate. That was in 2011. I've not looked back since. And there's been so many opportunities that have availed themselves that would never have done so if I stayed in the corporate life. I wouldn't have gone to America and had my sabbatical for, for nine weeks. And what I'm doing now is not like work to me. And I get to help so many people. Some people say, Donna, you used to fix computers, but you're now fixing people. So it, again, it's in a different way. And it's I can't imagine doing anything else now. I, I can't. It really harks back to what you said earlier when someone said to you, like, when you talk about yoga, it lights you up. And I can even just hear in your words now how much this life lights you up and how inspiring that is. I think everyone just needs to go with the flow. And that's what I think this yoga journey has shown me. If I get in my own way and do what I feel I need to do, then I'm wrong, if that makes sense. If I just believe in the universe or God, there's so many things that happen that I wouldn't even have considered. And and they and they just resonate naturally. I know that they were naturally meant to be. Someone said to me the other day, would you change the fact that you had Bell's palsy? I don't think I would because it's, it changed my life so much for the better. And so that leads me into my next question because the Bell's palsy, as you've mentioned, was just like such a product of the burnout that you're feeling yeah. from your corporate life. And me and Ran have this as well because we love what we do as well. We have so many projects and it's easy to find yourself like working seven days a week with a constantly massive to-do list. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you also have so many projects that you're excited about and so many different things on the go. Yeah. Uh, is burnout something that you still kind of work with now? Like, have you set up some strategies for yourself to keep your work life more sustainable? I suppose in in a way, but not deliberately, if it makes sense. Because I, I think about very, very early in my yoga career, I was starting to get the burnout because I had the corporate lifestyle and I had to sort of maintain that. So I was teaching a lot of classes during the week to sort of maintain that and getting burnout and was even considering going back to yoga for a very um, brief moment. But now what I'm doing, because I'm getting a little bit known now, I can be a little bit more selective in what I do and so I can choose where I work and I can sort of start now commanding what I like in terms of pay so I can maybe do less classes in that respect and then now with this book looming I've got to scale back a little bit in the amount of teaching so I look at smarter ways that I can work so I'm looking at maybe going more online because I can teach 100 classes a week in the UK but I can go online and potentially have a better lifestyle by, by doing that something I've been resisting but I'm beginning to see that it's almost like I have have to experience the hardship first and then do what people have been telling me to do for a while like go online more go online <laughs> more, which is which is the way to go and because my audience base I suppose is so diverse like on YouTube I think my, my client base is mainly from America so I need to give them online content so I can't reach them there and then I can you know the UK I can get through classes but also online because I've got individuals that don't necessarily live in London as well. So online seems to be the way that I, I really need to go. And that will give me the way to not burn out and try, as you say, because I can teach physical classes, but then I, I'd be online. I'm, you know, promoting something or whatever I'm working, but now I am trying to, to cut back on that. Like today is a day that I, you know, it's like a self-care day where I, I just literally do my own yoga, visit my family and just chill as much as possible. So I try and have two days of that and I want to scale back and have distinct admin days 
day. So days for teaching, but like maybe having three classes a day that I teach or two classes a day, just over particular days. And just that's it now. And not, and not say yes to the, the cover classes that come up sometimes. So interesting as well, because you started out in IT and now you're heading back on the computer, but with yoga. <laughs> and also back in the corporate world, because I, I go back in the corporate world, I actually teach in the corporate world. And it's so interesting to see people that look like me, you know, not like me, but, but where I was when I was in the corporate world, like stressed and fidgety and, and stuff like that and, and helping them. And, and, and that's why I like going back into corporate, because I lived their experience. And I, so I, I can understand how to help them change that. And something I've really noticed, like it seems to be this perception about teaching corporate yoga that people in offices aren't up for meditation, they aren't up for relaxation and they don't want to hear about yoga philosophy. But I found the total opposite in my workplace classes. Like people love that stuff. Like I have more people falling asleep in Shavasana in my <laughs> office classes than any of my other classes. And, and that's, and I think what it can be, it's the way it's, it's presented or worded. If it gets too woo-woo, then I think you put people off. They think, oh, that's not me but it's the way in which you introduce it that and I and people do love it and they say oh my gosh I fell asleep in your class and I really and it what you said resonates with me I may put it in the way that helps them and that's the, the beauty of Bikram yoga because you know I now bring the philosophy into it a little bit but some people don't want that and people then resonate with teachers that they like because of that but I started to bring that in more in the beginning I was told you can't say that that's not part of Bikram yoga but after a while I just ignored it and you know that is my style and and that's part of yoga it's not about the asanas and unfortunately sometimes with Bikram yoga it attracts a lot of A types so they want to produce they really want to push through which is not what yoga is about and you have to bring them back and there's some people that you can't help they believe that and it's through, it's in them through and through. But hopefully you think they're on this path of yoga that at some point they will get it or they will change. I guess as well, it's like, well, that can be the way in. Like at the beginning, people might really enjoy that pushing themselves to the physical limit. And then after kind of establishing their practice for a while, you kind of have this realization of like, oh, like there's more to life than always pushing and striving. Yeah, indeed. You know, and I actually show them that, you know, sometimes less is more, you know, they're doing a posture and they're like losing their breath and then I call it the yoga faces come through and it's like, guys, that's not yoga, you know, or your breath becomes very audible and it's a male. So, you know, no guys, that doesn't mean that you're working any harder. You're working against what yoga is about. And then they begin to soften which is good to see as a yoga teacher what do you think our most important role is our most important role i think it's just to oh, that's, a, that's a difficult one there actually i think there's so many roles that we have for me it's just to guide people to come back to themselves and, and to give them tools to see that life doesn't have to be the way they think it is that would be difficult and I, as teachers, we all teach something different that someone may get. I, when I go into a class, I just go in there and, and be open and hope that I say or do something that touches somebody, that they get something from it. So it could be like a light bulb moment or they have a breakthrough. And I think I'm just the catalyst for that. I, you know, I, I go in there and just say whatever someone needs, hopefully they, they get it from me in that moment. And I mean, I think if you're sharing from your heart, then that's always going to be something that people connect with. Because even if it's not something they identify with personally, if they can see how much you love and you believe in this practice and the effect that it's had on you, it almost gives you like that little bit of grace with people. And so they'll keep trying, even if they haven't kind of had that light bulb moment yet. Yeah. And it's almost like sometimes people come to yoga and they, it's almost like they need to have 
get permission to fall out of the posture. And I said that at the beginning, that you're going to fall out of the postures and that and being yogi is getting back in again. And that's so much like life. You know, we have some struggles sometimes. It doesn't mean we give up. We just go on. And sometimes that what I learned on my journey is that may not be my path or the way I'm meant to go, but it's just feedback. And that's what I try and bring into class. So, you know, that all these things that happen, they have for a reason and they may not be a negative thing. And just to just to embrace it and just be them and, and not to give up and just do what they, they want to do and not care about what other people think. That's an interesting question, but I just feel to be out there and for people to experience the yoga, I think that's the thing for me, just to be there and, and spread this message of yoga so more people can get it. And to go against the trend, because there's so many yoga teachers out there for different reasons. And I think being authentic, you know, I can go into class and I am, um, and I think the more I do it, the more people get to see me. Like yes, I went into the class and, and it was five minutes early and I, I've got to write this blog and it's a really difficult blog to write because what I want to say is that I don't have to be a standard blog about, oh, you know, everyone's a yoga body, which is true, but that we're born yogi. But somewhere along the line, we lose that because if you've seen a baby in happy baby pose with their big toe in their mouth, or, mm-hmm. or they're doing downward dog. You know, they, they're learning to walk and they're in down dog a lot, aren't they? They try to get up. So we're all, we all have yoga bodies by birth, but it's like, when do we lose that? Is it the fact that it's not our body is stiff, it's our minds that are stiff? And is it as we go along, our mind becomes limited and stiffer? And until some point we consciously then say, okay, I, I want to do something to, to reconnect to that. It's really difficult. I may have to just talk this blog out because I think writing it is going to be a long one or I'm going to have to make it in various parts. It's, it's a difficult one to sort of to get an answer on, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And there's a real parallel, I think, to I've heard this about creativity and about art as well. And like kids just draw yeah. and they love it. And somewhere along the way, someone either tells them that they're good at drawing or they're not good at drawing. And the kids who are told they're good at drawing will be like, yeah, I'm arty. I love making things yeah. and then the other kids just kind of stop doing it and they're just kind of like oh no I'm not any good at it that's not for me yeah so it's like we so get shaped by these figures in our lives and who knows who they are like we can't blame school teachers but school does seem to be where a lot of people's where the perceptions of other people start to impact on your own perception of yourself yeah but it's almost like so we need not more people than to say you can do and there's some do you can do anything and some you know individuals do have that experience and they go off and do anything but it's almost like and I suppose it was the same for me because I thought I wasn't creative and I did a program called creating the impossible and, the, and on the program my creating the possible was to increase my income by whatever and to do full camel but in doing this curse on yoga came through and I didn't realize that that I was something else creative was coming through and that I was almost like a tap that got stuck and then suddenly I was able to turn it and the creativity came through again and then I realized I was creative I just lost it like you said along the way but it came back to me because someone encouraged me or I did something that made me see I had it all along or could do it and same with yoga you come in and I've, I've got a student she's a curvy student she, and she does box splits and she doesn't even know she's doing box splits until I said you're doing box splits you're literally there she didn't know she could do it yeah I think as well like we also get a little bit conditioned out of doing things just because they're fun or because they feel good or because we enjoy them and we've got to do something to get better at it or if something doesn't have an end goal that it's not worth putting time and energy into. And it's one of the beautiful things about yoga because we do this practice just to do the practice. Like I think as soon as we start getting a bit fixated on an end goal, that's when often we end up hurting ourselves or just putting a whole lot of pressure on ourselves. Yeah. And, yeah, no, because I I always say that, you know, yoga, the love, 
marketing about it is it's infinite. You know, the, even when you you think you've aced the posture, there's something else to do, and that's what I love about it. And that's where you can just have fun with it and just play with it, and then you just see what your body can do. And that's what is, is happening to me on this path. And also, it's like the postures that we often feel like we're the worst at or the ones that we just have no natural affinity for are the ones we end up like learning so much about ourselves as we do them. And And the ones we need the most, the ones we avoid, the ones we need the most sometimes as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think as well as a teacher, they're the ones that you end up being the best at teaching because you have so much experience with your own struggle. And often you end up with some really good strategies and you've learned a lot about patience. If you're just one of those super bendy, super strong, super flexy people, it's really hard to think about how you could break that shape down to other people who just can't just do it. But the one, the posture that you've just had to just over time, gradually and gradually get more and more comfortable with is like, You'll be great at teaching that. Yeah, no, that's so true. Actually, I didn't think of that, but that, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I guess we should begin to wrap things up, but I was wondering if you could distill everything that you've learned or teach down to one core lesson, what do you think that one thing would be? I think that one thing would be it's just to go with the flow and to realize that you're so much more powerful than you actually are. And I think that we sometimes are afraid to acknowledge that power. And that's why we, we would make ourselves smaller than we actually are. So I say just go out there, embrace it. Don't live a life of regret and don't get to a stage like I did where, you know, it took illness for me to sort of realise that what I was doing wasn't right for me. I'd got so many signals along the way that it was the illness that really made me re-evaluate my life and change my life. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Donna. And thank you for everything that you share out in the world. I'm sure that you are inspiring many people to get on their yoga mat. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Alrighty, that was our episode with Donna Noble. I really hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you have any feedback at all, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcastatflowartist.com or join the Flow Artist podcast community on Facebook. Come and say hi. Our next episode is the first of our special Yoga Australia episodes, and it's an interview with one of their former presidents, Michael de Manincourt. It's a great conversation, and Michael has been doing some amazing work over the years, so definitely you'll want to tune in for that one. Now, this episode will come out in about three weeks' time, as Joe and I will be busy with workshops and a retreat over the next two weekends. So there's a slightly extended break between episodes, But don't worry, we'll be back soon. All right, as always, our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. This episode was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I wish to honour them as the true custodians of the land. Thank you so, so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love.